This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. It is September, oh my gosh, what is it, 5th? Gracious. Um, And this is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. A quick shout out to everybody. This is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month, and it is a cause very near and dear to my heart. And so please, if you have any information I've got, or if you need any information about ovarian cancer signs or symptoms, uh, treatment options, or um, advocacy, or how to advocate for yourself, please don't hesitate to look me up on Facebook under Patricia W. Fisher. I've got a lot of information there for you guys, as well as on Twitter. Uh, my handle is PAWF1067, and I'm more than happy to get you some solid, reliable, good information out there. But that's not what we're going to talk about today for the whole time. We're going to talk to a fabulous uh, guest. Uh, her name is Kennedy Ryan, and if you don't know who she is, you should, um, because she is a top 40 Amazon bestseller. She writes romance about remarkable women who thrive even in the tough times the love they find, and the men who cherish them. Kennedy's writings have appeared in Modern Mom magazine, Chicken Soup for the Soul, USA Today, and many others. She's a founder and executive director of a foundation serving Georgia families living with autism, and she has appeared on headline news, Montel Williams, NPR, and other media outlets as an autism advocate. Welcome to the show, Ms. Kennedy. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I was looking at the map this morning, and I see you guys are not going to get much of anything from Dorian. So I'm glad you guys are safe. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we're uh, we're here in Charlotte, and um, we're I think we're I think we're in the clear, which is good. So just prayers for everybody who's in the path of anything, and especially for the people in the Bahamas and these crazy storms. But I think we're okay. Yeah, it's um, I was in a hurricane in eighty. 80- Four, 83 um, and my great grandmother was still alive at the time and she had grown up with she was born in 1899 so she grew up with all the storms um, about the Galveston hurricane from 1900 and um, so she was just absolutely terrified to be in this hurricane with us um, but we oh were pretty God. inland yeah so but you just the big thing is the, the debris the falling debris that's what a lot of people um, get hurt by so I hope everybody is as safe as, as safe as possible. It is a it's scary. Mother Nature is, definitely does her own thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but if anybody is is stuck inside, or of course just wants a fabulous book to read this weekend, or maybe three books this weekend, um, and you love basketball, or even if you don't, you should read them anyway, because Kennedy <laughs> has these wonderful series, the Hoops novel series. She's got long shot, block shot, and hook shot. And hook shot's your most recent release for this series, yes, correct? Yes, yes, yes. It so came t- out in March, I think. Yeah. Right. So tell me, tell me um, why basketball? Well, basketball. Well, I think that before I decided basketball, long shot kind of came before the series itself. The first book in the series, long shot. Um, I had seen. Um, so it's kind of this issue before it took the form of basketball or a sports series or any of that. It was just um, sure. me me wanting to talk about domestic abuse in sports. 
um, after I saw the Ray Rice video where he knocked right. the girl, she was his girlfriend then, knocked her out and dragged her out of the elevator. I was just like so many of us indignant and outraged and disgusted and kind of dismayed at how we as a culture grappled with how we viewed her, with how we talked about her, with how, you know, and there, and then it all became about him and his career and what was going to be the impact on, you know, how much money he made. And, you know, it was just, it became everything but about what it kind of should have been about. And that right. kind of spurred me. I told my husband when, after I saw that video, you know, it went viral. And after I saw the video, I told my husband that I wanted to write a story about domestic abuse in the context of sports. And that's all mm-hmm. I knew. Um, for me, that naturally became basketball because that's the sport I'm pretty much obsessed with. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, you know, and somebody said, you know, I think about domestic abuse more with football because the guys are bigger and you just hear a lot more about it. Um, and for me, I, I didn't, sh- I know that it happens in basketball, it happens everywhere. So I, sure. I, I chose basketball because for me, basketball was uh, what I would be more conversant in, what I would be more fluent in. Um, I wanted a certain intimacy with the sport so that I could speak with some authority um, about the actual sport. And I'm obsessed with basketball. I uh, love basketball. My husband and I met and kind of bonded around basketball. Um, I'm a Tar Heel, UNC Chapel Hill alum. And of course, that is basketball country, you know, that nation with Duke basketball, Carolina basketball, you know, um, tobacco road. So um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, I got married on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, diehard basketball fan and um, obsessed. All my readers, all my friends know that during the NBA season, I'm just on lock. So basketball was a very natural choice for me just because it's the one I'm most passionate about and most informed about. Um, And it wasn't even a series at first. You know, it was just me wanting to write a book that was a commentary on that, but also, of course, a love story. Um, But then as I started writing it, of course, you know, writers know you're writing these side characters and you realize, wow, this is a compelling story here, (coughs) a compelling character here. And, um, as I started writing, other characters started emerging, and it kind of just took the form of a series. So I was like, oh, they'll get a book, and they'll get a book, you know. So um, that's how the rest well, of the series Well, it's funny because – well, okay, so you bring up you're meeting your husband over basketball, and I'm, I'm throwing in a little bit of, the, of Longshot. <clears throat> so I'm reading it. They met at a mm-hmm. bar because she was yelling at the refs on TV. Yeah. Was that how you guys <laughs> met? Yes. <laughs> Not exactly. We, um, we, it was a lot of, we hadn't, we didn't know each other. And it's so funny because my cousin, who's like my sister, my first cousin, we lived beside each other. Mm-hmm. We went to college together. We were just very, very close. She was engaged to his, she became engaged to his best friend. And okay. so we, you know, we were at some gathering and we, we never had a conversation and he, is, he hates it when I tell this story. But he was in a relationship. I was not a homebreaker. Okay. We did not cheat. None of that. But it was our first time really meeting. And I was having a conversation with a friend, and we started talking about basketball. And especially at that point when I was, I was right about to graduate from college, I think. And I, it was like the, you know, Michael Jordan was still in the league at that point, and, which tells you how okay. old I am. But um, I was obsessed <laughs> oh, well, with all the Chicago Bulls <laughs> with Michael Jordan. So I knew the stats. I knew everything. And also, he's a cardinal. So, you know, I okay. knew his UNC, I knew his UNC stats, I, you know, when he was at um, UNC Chapel Hill, I, I knew everything. 
And so the guy I was talking to was like, you know, he called my husband's name and he was like, ask her anything about basketball. And he's like rolling his eyes and he comes down there and he asks me something and I knew it. And then he asked me something else and I knew it. And I'm like, what, girls can't know stuff, you know, which is very right. much kind of like how Iris is. Um, and then we just started talking about basketball and really just bonded over it. And it's so funny because I had no idea. But after, after that meeting, he told my cousin's fiance, keep me away from that girl, <laughs> you know, because oh. he was in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, he was like, keep me away from that girl. There's something about her. And um, years later, years later, I emphasize, um, is nice. like, you know, being together, you know, and realizing that there was more to our friendship than, you know, we were not. So, but yeah, so we bonded around. I think there's a lot of me in Iris in the sense of her love for the sport. Um, I think right. that's where, if you read Longshot, she has a love, a genuine love for basketball. She's a Lakers fan. I'm not. My husband is right. a Lakers fan. He is diehard, lifetime purple and gold. And I'm a warrior. I'm a, a Golden State Warriors fan now. Um, but Okay, so that's where that so, dynamic came in. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, there's just, I think there, there's a lot of our relationship in the book, just from the sense of the mutual love for the sport. And uh, so I think that's where that came in. And for me, it was, uh, there's this line that a lot, most people who, there are certain lines that stick out for most readers with this book, Long Shot. And one mm-hmm. of them is, um, I play you at the five. And um, right. that, yeah, so a lot of people are always like, I play you at the five, and they hashtag, I play you at the five, and you know, all of that. And if I hadn't been intimate with basketball, I wouldn't know to make that metaphor or that analogy, you know, because playing at the five is the five spot is the center. And so that's mm-hmm. why as I was talking, you know, my husband and I were watching and a coach said something like, yeah, I played him at the five. And I had never heard anybody really say it. And I was like, what, what does he mean by playing at the five? He goes, oh, it just means that he's going to play that, play that guy at the center. And I was like, oh, right. wow. Okay, you know, so my author brain starts rolling around like, oh, I could use this, <laughs> you know, so. No kidding. Anyway. Well, and, you know, it's interesting you bring that up to have that intimacy and know, um, know something really well, because I know there's mm-hmm. been a lot of discussion, for, for people who aren't familiar, there's been a lot of discussion in the past couple of years about um, diversity and inclusion in uh, romance mm-hmm. writing and how things are changing. Yes. And, um and should be changing because the world is not just, you know, one shade of whatever. Um, and so I think one of the big things, and I know that um, uh, is it, it's Adri- Adriana um, Herrera talked about this yeah. at the RWA conference um, about inclusion versus diversity. And one of the big things that she brought about was doing your research. And so yes. you, like you're saying, you – you did your research on basketball, but you already knew it. So you put that aspect in there because the passion of it. But that helps this yeah. wonderful layering of your story. So if someone wants to write a character that's, let's say they're not, you know, you're not, um, you know, a, a, five, a 5'10", svelte African-American woman, but you want to write about mm-hmm. one that is, you know, um, you know a, a, a really amazing doctor, an orthopedic doctor, because she's, you know, yeah. that's her passion. You want to make sure you do your research, not only about the medical aspect, but about what her life is going to be like and not be assumptive. Yeah, and so, sure. 
I think what is the best? Shot, yeah, what is the best way for someone to do that? Um, if they're coming at it very, very um, new, like the blank slate, trying to create this character, that's so uh, that's you know maybe somebody that doesn't know. Uh, this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. With long shot, and I think that you know we talk about diversity, inclusion, all of that. Um, for me. Anytime you're writing beyond your own experience, then you should assume that you don't know everything. Or in my case, I assume I don't know anything. And I'm not talking right. about I've never worked at McDonald's. So, you know, and I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when you start, you know, something more basic, but especially because I don't want people to think I'm like hyper, hypersensitive. But at the same time, I think that when there is an experience that you have not had for yourself. And if you right. get it wrong, it's harmful. Um, yes. it, or it reiterates a stereotype or it puts something out in culture that doesn't um, paint that group, especially if it's a marginalized group that's already swimming upstream in a good light, then you have to be really, you have to be really careful. You have to be responsible. You have to be respectful and to not consult um, that group to not engage that group, to not include that group in your process is arrogant and potentially harmful. For me, that is, mm-hmm. and I think most people put this in the context of race and culture, which it definitely is. For me, with Longshot, it was definitely not just race or culture, it was experience. Um, I was writing yes. a heroine who was in an abusive relationship, and I've been very you know, clear. I had never been slapped in the face. I'd never been raped. I'd never been hit. I'd never had a violent experience with a man or any, none of that. I just had, right. you know, I saw this video and I felt compelled. Um, and uh, I, as I sat down to write, or I thought I was going to write, I realized that I had all of these biases and prejudices about my heroine, all of these presumptions mm-hmm. about my heroine. Why? And these are the things that I would say, you know, whenever I encountered issues of domestic abuse, well, I don't understand why they say, you know, they must be weak. You know, those are the things that kind of in culture, those, those are the questions that hover over these women, right. over these situations. And so I closed my laptop and I, I literally didn't write for, I didn't write the story for another six months. I um, oh, wow. found, yeah, I stopped writing. Um, there were other books. I, I started working on other projects because I knew that I wanted to deep dive into this experience in such a way that anything I wrote would be shaded and painted by my own biases and my own prejudices about this situation. So I had to systematically break those, expose those, acknowledge those, mm-hmm. and then replace those with the truth. Um, and so, so I you bring about other a, things, you know. You bring about a really good point, though, because you said you, you realized that you were writing or you had your own um, – ideas and thoughts and, and how things would have mm-hmm. gone. And then you said, this isn't correct. How did you know it wasn't correct? Well, for me, when I started writing, those questions were in my mind, you know, like, well, why okay. are you saying? It goes to like, kind of like motivation and really understand as you start the same way as a writer, you approach, you start to try to understand your character's goals and their motivations and what makes them do right. the things they do. I realized that I really didn't know. You know, and I'm okay. like, how does she get to this place? And why does right. she stay? And I would have, I could have my own ideas about that. But I realized that I really wanted to talk to women who had been in these situations and gotten out of these situations to understand why did they stay? And you know, my background yeah. is journalism. And so for me, 
I, I am a digger. I never, when you're writing a story, if you're writing a story as a journalist, you don't go into the story assuming that you already know the facts. And so that's how exactly. I approach writing. I, I don't go into the story assuming, well, I already know. You interview people. You do personal accounts. And actually, personal accounts, interview, research, that's the backbone of my writing process. Um, even with mm-hmm. Longshot, like I said, I didn't write for six months. I found, I did a lot of research, but then I also found a good 10 women who had been in these situations, um, 10 people. Uh, some of them were women who were survivors. Um, I interviewed social workers who had worked with mm-hmm. women from, um, in situations of domestic abuse. I interviewed shelter workers. Um, I interviewed some people who work with the legal system. So all of that really informed that entire process. And it made me realize, wow, I really didn't know. I really would have gotten this very wrong. And it was interesting mm-hmm. to me because when I, when I interviewed the survivors, they were like, thank you so much for taking the time to do this because we haven't seen ourselves portrayed properly. We haven't seen our yes. story actually told. Um, and it could just be they hadn't read the right books, you know, but I think that there are some mysteries. You know, I'm sure they exist, um, but I think that uh, there were some misconceptions about, there are generally, I think in culture, a lot of presumptions and misconceptions about, you know, what goes into this. And it, they're not a monolith, like no group is a monolith. So everybody stays for different reasons. Iris's reasons um, are not, uh, she doesn't believe that she's in love with her abuser. She doesn't believe that right. her abuser loved her. Those are not the constructs that hold her in this relationship. Hers, and I really wanted to deal more with this, I wanted to deal more with the patriarchal bias of our legal system, and I wanted to deal more right. with the custodial right. issues that come in that sometimes entrap women who find themselves in a relationship with a partner who turns violent. And when they have children together, it's even more layered because our system somehow believes that someone who is abusive and almost kills a woman should still have parental rights. And so, you know, right. it's negotiating all of that. It's negotiating financial abuse and reproductive abuse and all, all the things that are so tangled up in this issue. And I would never have been able to articulate those things and unpack them and weave them into the story had I not gone through the process of consulting people who had actually lived it. I, I am very passionate about this. I have seen over the last few months, um, I know that there is, uh, and I'm, I speak very frankly about this issue um, and these issues of diversity and inclusion because I believe that if we don't speak frankly about them, if we don't tell the truth, then we make very little progress. Um, so exactly. I think that over, over the last few months especially, as I think as people from other races, cultures, groups, whatever, start to see the importance of diversity and inclusion, more and more mm-hmm. of them say, well, I want to I wanna help or I want to do this. I want to write, you know, people who are beyond my experience. Um, and I see some people who take it very seriously, who are very respectful, who are very responsible, who don't want to do harm. But then I see some people who are in the place that I was, you know, before I wrote, before I actually started writing Longshot and maybe haven't realized some of their own biases and some of their own blind spots. And they write anyway. And I've seen right. over the last few weeks and months some blatant examples of harm. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. for me, to me, when I read it, I'm like, oh, gosh, you don't even realize how harmful that is. You don't even realize how hurtful that is. And I, I am experiencing this right now in the sense that I'm writing about um, uh, uh, an Apache woman. And 
I deep dove, you know, I I have a whole um, assembly of Native American women I'm interviewing and three of, at least a third of them hailing from the exact tribe I'm writing about because they're not monolithic either. And you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like I yeah. take it incredibly yeah. serious and you have to, and you have to listen. I think what happens sometimes is people, they get people to read the book just to say I had a sensitivity reader or just to say somebody looked at it. You have to listen, you know, and first yes. of all, make, make sure you get somebody who's going to challenge you, who is going to have a very tight filter on what could do harm and what could offend people who fail from that marginalized group um, and who have lived those experiences. And then you have to listen. It's so interesting. I just, I just had a situation where I have a sensitivity reader, an accuracy reader, Alyssa Cole calls it, and I, I love that, an accuracy reader, and they pushed back on something. I could say, and it was a hard thing for me to correct in my manuscript, I could say, um, you're overreacting. And that mm-hmm. there's a defensiveness. I think as authors sometimes we have created this thing and we've been really careful and we've you know poured our hearts into it and we're protective of it. And when somebody else steps into it, we invite someone into it. Tell me where I'm doing harm. Tell me where I'm going wrong. And when they say right here, you have to listen. And I, right. have, and the, there's a defensiveness that comes like, no, or maybe you're overreacting. I have been in situations over the last few years as I've watched people step out of their comfort zone and decide that they wanted to write other people's experiences and have, have missteps and maybe not wanted to own it or maybe not wanted to acknowledge it. And there's an outcry that the people who are from that group are overreacting. How could you possibly tell someone that they are overreacting and that you're not doing harm when you've never lived the hurt? If you've never lived that hurt, if you've never lived being erased in culture, if you've never lived that marginalized experience, you can't tell that person they're overreacting because you don't know. And so I, you know, addressing the issue that you brought up, that's my perspective, is I don't tell people don't write outside your experience. I write, I write all over, you know. I am mm-hmm. not gay. I have gay characters. I have Hispanic right. characters. I have Korean characters. I have black and white characters. I have, you know, other able characters. I have a range of characters. So I, I'm fine right, with people writing beyond what you've experienced. But I think there should be a certain standard of responsibility and respect, and to not hold yourself to a high standard of that is the height of arrogance. Um, and you will well, yes, if you don't. And I think one, I think another way that people, if they do want to write outside their experience, one of the great ways is read books that are, you know, about the characters you think you want to write about. Read books about outside Absolutely. your comfort zone that you've read. Diversify yeah. your bookshelf. You know, I mean, and that. Absolutely. I, you know, I was in an awful relationship um, years ago, and I, you know, we we kind of talked about it a little bit um, a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, and and what she was going through, and I'm sitting there reading this, going, "Wow, yeah, okay, yeah, I get that." So, I mean, you really presented it in a way that a lot of people, I would think, a lot of women would connect and say, "Yeah, that's parts of it, not not necessarily all of it, but I mean, it was that yeah. that that process." Now, you went very, obviously, because the subject is dark. There was parts of it that were very dark mm-hmm. and very frightening, of course. Um, oh, yeah. But as yeah. a writer, how do you, okay, I call it the 180. How do you pull yourself out of that when you've been in this dark spot for this character? 
and then you, you know, close your computer and you walk out and you see your family, how, what is your 180 to pull yourself away from that for a little while? Because we have to. I think it's, I, yeah, we do have to, and I don't know that I always do a great job of it. Um, I tell people that, you know, when I wrote Long Shot, literally, because so because of, I think, the process that I used to write it, which was definitely relying on a lot of personal account and interview, these are women mm-hmm. who are opening up the most difficult, painful chapters of their lives. Some of them haven't really examined it maybe in a while, you know, and they're, they're cracking sure. it open for me again, and it's painful for them in some ways, and I... You know, I dedicated the book to the two women who became my um, sensitivity readers out of the groups that I had interviewed. Um, I called them my phoenixes, you know, because they just rose above so much. But um, right. I, I tell people by the time I finished the long time, I literally had a bald spot in the back of my head. You know, I literally had oh. a bald spot. Um, <laughs> I would interview them and get you off the phone. I would hold it together because I wanted to be professional. But I would get off sure. the phone with them and just sob, you know, just sob. And I would cry to my husband, and I'd be like, oh, my God. You know, so um, I, I do but think that I lost cathartic myself. Well. In, but that's your – It is yeah. cathartic. It is cathartic. I think it's sometimes hard to turn off um, for me. Yeah. Um, the way I kind of lose myself in the research process especially and feeling connected to the people I'm interviewing – I think sometimes it is hard to extract myself from that. Okay, now carpool, you know. Okay, now right. Walmart run, you know. It's like real life. Um, and for me, part of my writing process is that I, I act out a lot of the scenes. Um, and I and I wouldn't say, you know, obviously some of the scenes that I wrote are very dark. And a lot of people ask why I decided to tell the story in such a raw way because there was an alternative. I could have told more sure of the story. Sure fade to black story. But for me, I, I wanted, a lot of people say it almost feels real, you know, like it feels like a, a real life account, you know, like it feels like something that's yeah. actually happening. And I think the urgency of that part of that comes from us stepping into that actual experience and living it. I, um, that's just the way I chose to do this particular story, but uh, it's, it is hard to let go of. It's hard to it kind of step out of it and say, oh, well, you know, now I can do something else. It was really, one of the hardest books ever for me to write was Block Shot, which is the book after I, I wrote after Long Shot um, because okay. it was like, a com, you know, it was a complete, it was a much, there's issues, you know, there's issues, of course, because there's always conflict, sure. but it wasn't anything. It's a much lighter book. Um it wasn't right. anything like long shot. You know, the characters didn't deal with any of those things. And it was just so hard for me to to shift, you know. Um, and I think it was hard for some of my readers because when you, if that's the first book of mine you read, you kind of assume, yeah. well, all of her books must be like this. You know, and they're not. Right. I think that long shot is singular in that way. I mean, it's not, um, none of my books are that heavy. But I think a lot of people assume because long shot is darker and heavier material that the whole canon of my work must be like that, and it, it's not. Well, we have about a little bit over two minutes left, so I wanted to say to everybody, Kennedy, for, for long shot, Kennedy won the Rita Award, which is the Oscars of uh, romance writing, and you're the first African-American woman to do so. Um, and, of course, 
we had a big discussion about that, and, and the big thing was um, the thing that I just, you know, was standing there watching you walk up there uh, and get your award, but <laughs> and then you got up there and you you deleted your speech off your phone, oh, and yes. but you just oh my you God. handled yourself so beautifully, and it was just such a cool <sighs> moment to be part of. It was cool for me too. It was so cool. I bet it was. I, I couldn't. I, I, that's an understatement. But it was like when I got to the stage, I didn't have very much written down, but I did have it like, you know, you have a note on your phone. And sure. I don't know, in the excitement, I don't know, maybe I hugged someone and pressed delete. But when I got there, the horror of just looking down and there's nothing there. Um, and I, I felt the weight of how historic it was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I felt yeah. that I, sense of this is I will so, take your word for it. <laughs> you know, it's so much bigger than me. It's not just my night. It's not just my book night. You know, it was definitely a sense of we did it. That's how I felt, you know. And for me to step into that moment, which already felt like it wasn't really just about me and my book, with nothing, I felt like I just jumped out of an airplane with no parachute. But, um, you know, I, I said that night, I guess God just wanted me to speak from my heart because that's what I was left with, you know. Um, so I hope yep. I didn't and you, it up too badly. I, it was beautiful. And I so appreciate. And we're already, like, 30 seconds away from the ending. So please oh come gosh. back when your next series. I know, right? So your next series is coming out in uh, a bit. And please come back in a couple months yes, and we'll talk about yes. it. We'll just have the whole time. Um, and if you're looking for Kennedy Ryan, she's KennedyRyanWrites.com, and I have all her links to her Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, everything, BookBub, links in the write-up of the show, as well as links to her books. Her um, Hoops novels are out now. Please pick them up. You will not regret it. And thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ms. Kennedy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions www.cosproductions.com Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.